everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I want to continue uh, my series of podcasts on the cultural implications of the transgender debate. But unlike a lot of my past podcasts, in which we've taken a look at the really depressing elements uh, of the transgender debate, there is a real mixed bag with this podcast, because I want to take a look at the transgender debate in Canada. And I want to emphasize here that it's good news just to say the transgender debate in Canada, because for the better part of a decade, Canada was one of the only Western countries where gender ideology was entirely unquestioned, where there was virtually no debate whatsoever. And the progressive establishment is still trying to keep it that way, but especially over the last six months, they're finally starting to fail in that endeavor. Now, despite the fact that the transgender debate took over our institutions in an unbelievably short amount of time, and I'm not going to get into all the details once again of how they did that. If you're interested in how they took over academia and how they took over politics, a lot of my most recent podcasts cover those subjects. But what was interesting is that we saw a very vibrant debate on transgenderism taking place in the United Kingdom, where uh, detransitioners won significant court battles, where a strange alliance between social conservatives and feminists formed. Of course, the transgender debate debate has been raging across the United States, where gender ideology is one of the key issues on the ballot in every election, on both the state level and on the federal level. The premises of the transgender debate are being actually aired out in political forums, in public forums, and in the U.S. in particular, as I've noted at my blog at LifeSite News, even organizations like the New York Times, which are fully supportive of the LGBT agenda and generally accept the premises of that agenda as obviously true and do not subject any of those premises to interrogation, is starting to release long-form essays questioning many aspects of that agenda. And that's significant for a couple of reasons. When the Weekly Standard or the Na our National Review View or First Things or, or a conservative flagship publication in the United States publishes a critique of transgender ideology, as all of the aforementioned publications did, that's kind of considered par for the course. Of course, the publications uh, that opposed the redefinition of marriage and are pro-life would also take an anti-gender ideology position. But when the New York Times does it, it means that the evidence building up against the premises of the transgender movement are so significant that the New York Times feels forced to report on things that their audience will not like, that many of their young woke staffers will not like, that the LGBT movement is going to target them for. And it means they've made the decision to cover aspects of this debate despite the fact that they know they're going to get an enormous amount of pushback. And just recently, the New York Times published a long-form essay on detransitioners finally recognizing that they exist, that their struggles are real, and that many of those young people were ushered on the path to sex change surgeries and cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers, despite the fact that many of them had underlying issues that clinicians and therapists should have picked up on, things like depression, like eating disorders, like other mental health struggles. This is something that I've been writing about for years uh, here at LifeSite News and elsewhere. This is something that's been reported on uh, by many conservative publications. This is not something, however, that the mainstream media 
has picked up on. And it's something, in fact, that the mainstream media has dedicated gallons of ink to actually rebutting. Uh, The New York Times also ran an expose on what puberty blockers can do to young children, reducing their bone density, the horrifying physical impact of puberty blockers, which we are consistently told are are fully reversible and have no long-lasting effects, something that is currently being stated by every major mainstream Canadian publication, as we'll get to in a moment. This is all just to say that there is a debate on the premises of the transgender movement going on in the United States. There's one going on in the UK. There's one going on in Sweden where they've stopped using puberty blockers. In Finland where they stopped using puberty blockers. In Norway where they stopped using puberty blockers. So we've actually seen a lot of things that were taken for granted and are taken for granted by the Canadian progressive establishment being hotly debated in countries that are far from right-wing. All right, Justin Trudeau's current electoral strategy is to try and portray the federal conservative party as some sort of weird dark MAGA party. And he's trying to portray the recent positions taken by Canadian conservative politicians on the transgender issue as an imported American culture war rather than a Canadian response to things that have been going on here in Canada. And so what we've seen in Canada is an almost complete blackout, aside from conservative publications like this one, on the transgender issue. We saw all of the progressive parties, the Green Party, the NDP, uh, Trudeau's Liberals, all being uh, very, very for every aspect of the transgender agenda, which is presented essentially as a foregone conclusion. And until very recently, no major conservative politician in this country was willing to speak out on the transgender issue, to question any of those premises, to ask if the policies that have been implemented over the last 10 years are in fact good for parents, good for children, uh, good for the very people that they, they are apparently oriented at helping. And anybody who questioned transgender ideology was immediately shouted down, and that's still happening. But what I think is a very significant political moment in recent Canadian history happened last June. And that's when Blaine Higgs, the premier of New Brunswick, announced that going forward, children under 16 seeking to change their gender at school by switching names or pronouns, which is known as socially transitioning, would first need the permission of their parents. Now, it's kind of crazy that this is a controversial policy because many Canadians had been unaware at all that over the past several years, it was standard policy in the public school system to hide such information from parents by default. Even though you need parental permission for pretty much everything, including matters as trivial as dispensing Tylenol, but if a kid at school decided perhaps on the basis of LGBT sex ed curriculum, which presents them with the option of multiple genders, suggests that the body that they have may not reflect their internal gender, is teaching them that biological sex and gender identity are two separate things, that if a child decides uh, as a girl that they want to identify as a boy or a boy who wants to identify as a girl and decides to go by different pronouns and a different name, by policy, this was kept secret from Canadian parents. And The National Post was one of the few newspapers who actually did some really good in-depth reporting on this. And so as soon as Higgs announced this very basic common sense policy, which in a previous age would have hardly been considered a culture war victory for conservatives, uh, LGBT activists promptly went nuts. And I think they realized that once this debate opened, they were in big trouble. 
because the majority of Canadians, again, didn't even know that these policies were in place. And so to have to debate this policy meant that they were going to actually have to get public approval, public affirmation for something they had done by stealth. And they accused Higgs of violating LGBT, quote-unquote, human rights, but... Higgs refused to back down. This is incredibly rare in Canada for a Canadian conservative politician to take a stand on a social issue and then refuse to back down when all of the forces of the progressive establishment come against him. But as it turns out, polling very quickly emphasized that Higgs' position was incredibly popular as it turns out, claiming that Canadian parents pose a real danger to their kids is not particularly politically persuasive. And essentially, what the progressive establishment seeks to do now is to run against Canadian parents, which is a wildly unpopular move. In fact, 87% of Canadian parents, according to recent polls, are opposed to the secret social transitioning of children in schools. It would be very difficult to find Another issue where 87% of parents agree, but this is one of them. And Higgs wasn't the first. As it turns out, he kind of broke the logjam or he, you know, he put, uh, he, he gave a whole bunch of other conservative politicians a spine and helped them realize that there was a silent majority of Canadians who were not being spoken for. And so his move attracted the attention of other premiers. And on August 22, two months later, Saskatchewan announced an almost identical policy mandating that parental consent must be acquired before students are socially transitioned if they are before the age of 16. And again, the political allies of the LGBT movement, including Saskatchewan's advocate for children and youth, Lisa Broda, claimed that involving Canadian parents in life-changing decisions about their children is dangerous. This is We are the ones presented as radicals for objecting to these policies, but it, it is an incredibly radical thing to claim that by default Canadian parents pose a danger to their children, that parental rights somehow threaten the well-being of children, as if LGBT educators and activists and teachers somehow care more about your children than you do. But Premier Scott Moe, following the lead of Blaine Higgs, it must be noted, Blaine Higgs is the real hero of the story, defended the policy and actually quoted a poll that proved public support. And I want to quote here from Scott Moe's Twitter account. He said the following... A new poll from Angus Reid Institute shows strong support in Saskatchewan and across Canada for parental inclusion and consent in education, with 86% in Saskatchewan supporting some level of notification for parents when children want to change their gender identity in school. Just 10% agree with the NDP position that parents should not be informed. Now, immediately, LGBT groups launched lawsuits to stop the parental rights policies, and the Saskatchewan Court of King's Bench granted an injunction halting the implementation of the policy until its constitutionality could be fully reviewed in court. And Canada's judiciary is notoriously progressive, and so this move was essentially designed to kill the policy entirely. But in a very rare move, this just shows how confident these premiers are that they are A, doing the right thing and B, that the public will back them in doing the right thing, Scott Moe actually recalled the legislature and overrode the injunction with the application of the notwithstanding clause, which, to give a brief explanation, is Section 33 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It's a, a constitutional tool that allows federal, provincial, and territorial legislatures to prevent judicial review for up to five years, at which point it can be reenacted again. In other words, when a law is passed, 
and the courts declare that law unconstitutional, uh, the elected legislators can override that judicial decision for up to five years through the application of the notwithstanding clause. But it's incredibly rare uh, that any premier use this. But he was, again, confident enough in both the rightness and the popularity, it must be said, of his policy to stake an enormous amount of political capital on the issue and utilize a tool that most premiers are loath to rely on. And this is a real shift. This is a real shift because a couple of years ago, no premier would touch this issue with a 10-foot pole. And so the progressive establishment's narrative reigned because nobody even questioned it. Uh, Conservative MPs, MLAs, MPPs, nobody wanted to discuss this issue just because they assumed um, that the LGBT movement had such a vice grip on everything. And I think they believed the LGBT movement's lie that it was somehow un-Canadian to question liberal social progressivism, despite the fact that all of these transgender policies were very, very new. I'm only 35. I remember when these policies came into place. Uh, This was done overnight. It was done without the the voters uh, voting on it. This was done without anybody input being asked for. Uh, Essentially, the LGBT agenda was implemented across the board, across the country, in virtually every public school, without any of us having had anything to say about it. So, first Blaine Higgs, then Scott Moe, then Manitoba Premier Heather Stephenson was next, promising to make parental rights a part of her upcoming election. Um, Her party subsequently lost this to the NDP, but again, the reason that suddenly uh, the Premier was willing to run on this issue is because an Angus Reid survey indicated that 76% of Manitobans believe that parents should be informed if a child assumes a new gender identity at school. 76%, that's a massive plurality of voters uh, who agree with this policy. Uh, Ontario hasn't implemented any specific policies, but in response to all these other premiers, uh, Ontario's Education Minister Stephen Leachy hosted a press conference on August 28, and he announced that it was the official view of the Ford government that, quote, parents must be fully involved and fully aware of what's happening in the life of their children. And so starting last June, with Blaine Higgs finally deciding to take a stand on this issue, and to give voice to the silent majority of Canadians, parental rights went from a political no-go zone to a popular campaign point. That is an incredible sea shift in terms of Canada's political culture, and literally all it took was for one premier to have the guts to make the move. Myself and other social conservative uh, commentators have been saying for years that any look at the data indicates that the vast majority of Canadians do not share the views of Jagmeet Singh or Justin Trudeau. They do not share the social views of these premiers. They just don't generally vote on them at all. But most of these policies were implemented stealthily, and a socially conservative platform, if tailored to the views of the public, can actually be a winning platform. And the only reason that social conservatives have lost so consistently is not because they've lacked for public support, but because they've lacked for public champions. They've lacked politicians who are actually willing to speak to the concerns of voters on the ground. And the premier of New Brunswick has again broken that logjam, and now you see all these premiers coming forward. 
At first, though, it did look as if Alberta, uh, where socially conservative Premier Jason Kenney was replaced by libertarian Danielle Smith, who is self-professedly pro-LGBT, would buck the new trend. And I'll admit I was very suspicious of Danielle Smith. Danielle Smith uh, had been the leader of the Wild Rose Party previously in Alberta, and she had crossed the floor to the PCs um, with a good chunk of the Wild Rose Caucus, and she had done so stating that she did not want to remain in the Wild Rose Caucus because of the socially conservative views of so many of those legislators. And so she's a libertarian, uh, she's pro-choice, uh, she's pro-LGBT, and, and I didn't trust her at all. But very ironically, I think, the fact that she's not a social conservative allowed her eventually to come forward with a much more sweeping list of policy changes in Alberta than perhaps Jason Kenney would have gotten away with. Because Jason Kenney uh, is a practicing Catholic, Jason Kenney also is a social conservative, and so he wouldn't have been able to unveil a whole bunch of policies that affirmed a lot of transgender premises while at the same time restricting a lot of the transgender agenda, which is what happened. So that's what happened early this year, and it's created a, a Canadian political firestorm that's going to go on for quite some time. On January 31st, Smith announced a raft of new policies that went substantially further than any of the other premiers. And again, I was very shocked uh, when her video got posted online uh, dealing with the gender issue, and I watched it, and I almost couldn't believe what I was hearing, because this was somebody who is pro-LGBT, but yet is adopting a whole bunch of common-sense policies because she recognizes that they have the support of the Albertan people and the Canadian public. I'm going to actually read the policies here from the Alberta government's website. Point one, all gender reassignment surgeries for minors aged 17 and under will be prohibited. This is unprecedented in Canada. The use of puberty blockers and hormone therapies for the purpose of gender reassignment or affirmation will not be permitted for children aged 15 and under except for those who have already commenced treatment. Mature teens aged 16 and 17 may only choose to commence puberty blockers and hormone therapies for gender reassignment and affirmation purposes with parental, physician, and psychologist approval. Parents must be notified and opt in to any instance when a teacher provides formal instruction on subject matter involving gender identity, sexual orientation, or human sexuality. Again, that's unprecedented in Canada. That is an enormous step in the right direction for parental rights. Continuing here... All third-party resource materials or presentations related to gender identity, sexual orientation, or human sexuality available in Alberta classrooms must be pre-approved by the Ministry of Education to ensure they are age-appropriate. This is basically the Alberta government deciding that they are going to keep a lot of the scandalous sex ed material out of classrooms. Parents must consent for their child aged 15 and under to alter their name or pronouns used by school teachers, administration, and other educational staff. That's known as socially transitioning. And finally, parents must be notified for their child aged 16 or 17 to alter their names or pronouns used by school teachers, administration, and other educational staff. This is in incredibly groundbreaking stuff. And, and Danielle Smith, as I said, is pro-LGBT, so in her verbal announcement... She also stated that she hopes that uh, Alberta can attract a, a surgeon who will do sex change surgeries for adults, that she firmly supports the concept of, uh, of transgender people getting sex changes, but all of her policies dealing with minors were very clear, um, and 
again, ironically for somebody who is uh, not socially conservative, went much farther uh, than Manitoba or Ontario were willing to do and, and went much farther than they went into New Brunswick and Saskatchewan. And so the, in response to this, the LGBT movement and their progressive political allies promptly went nuts. And what we're seeing now is a relentless media campaign from state-funded outlets publishing a rolling barrage of coverage, insisting that these policies would result in trans suicides, uh, quoting debunked junk studies, and insisting that Higgs, Moe, and Smith are obviously all, you know, MAGA troglodytes importing an American culture war, which, as I mentioned previously, is Justin Trudeau's entire re-election strategy at the moment. And if you want to read coverage of, of the way the media has been attacking these premiers, I've been blogging on it regularly at lifesitenews.com. And this is despite the fact, as I mentioned earlier, that Smith's policies are in line with the medical policy changes in European countries like Norway and Sweden and Finland, and these are hardly bastions of right-wing sentiment. But Canada's progressives really prefer to live in an alternative reality, a reality in which there is no debate on any of these issues, in which we can all be gaslit into assuming that these things have always been the case and that our response to new policies is somehow a backlash. And just to look at the coverage, I just want to give you a couple of examples just to highlight the extent to which media that's being funded by the federal government is attempting to sway Canadians against policies that are currently very popular. Uh, political science uh, scientist, pardon me, David Snow, analyzed coverage of Saskatchewan's policy by the CBC in The Hub and found that headlines were leading and biased with 37% of them containing, quote, attributed criticism, and not a single one of the 38 articles examined containing, quote, attributed praise of the policy. In other words, all these articles quoted people saying these policies were horrible. None of them quoted people saying these policies were great. Uh, So-called experts were handpicked to criticize parental rights, and Snow's conclusion is, quote, the CBC prioritizes allyship over objectivity. Of course, uh, anybody who reads that coverage uh, could have could have uh, noticed that right away. And again, this is the press that uses the preferred pronouns. It refers to male criminals as female. And so, again, the media is already operating within the boundaries of the premises laid out by the transgender movement, so this shouldn't surprise us. But the Toronto Star was even less subtle, publishing an op-ed with this title. It's a privilege, not a right, to know your kid's gender identity. I do have to say I appreciate it when they say the quiet part out loud. They're basically telling parents, the child that you loved and raised and paid for everything and that you know you love more than life itself, it's a privilege to know if that child is changing the name that you gave him or her or the pronouns that reflect his or her biological sex. Um, that's the purview of teachers and educators who apparently love your kid more than you do. In that uh, article, they say this, quote, Oh, sorry. Uh, the CBC published another explainer titled this, quote, where did the term parental rights come from? And now you're seeing that they're actually claiming that the term parental rights itself is an insidious dog whistle term. And this is what the op-ed said, quote, those who are critical of the term say it's a misnomer that excludes LGBTQ parents or parents of LGBTQ children and implies that parental rights take precedence over children's rights. 
this is just such garbage. But it's again, it's important for us to know where the state broadcaster stands. It's important for Canadian parents to read coverage explaining why they pose a danger to their children and why they have a no right to know when their child is undergoing life-changing circumstances that could change the trajectory of the rest of their lives. So in addition to the press backlash, the political backlash has been immense and very predictable. Uh, Trudeau promptly came out and repeated the same tired narrative about trans kids being at risk of suicide from parental rights policies and bans on puberty blockers also apparently threaten the lives of children despite all the evidence coming out even in publications like the New York Times explaining how dangerous puberty blockers are. I have an entire article at LifeSite um, on, on my blog there on the dangers of puberty blockers that you can check out if you want to see some of the recent studies. LGBT activists organized protests in Calgary and Edmonton to protest Danielle Smith and the UCP's policies. And the LGBT activist group EGALE, which receives, not incidentally, hundreds of thousands of dollars in federal government funding, has announced that they will sue the Albertan government to stop the policy. Presumably, Danielle Smith could use the notwithstanding clause as well. And because her policies were announced months after Saskatchewan announced theirs, it seems likely that she's going to be prepared to do so. Trudeau's Minister of Employment actually implied that the federal government could attempt to withhold health care funding from the province if Smith moves forward with the announced policies. And trans activists reiterated their delusional accusation that Canada is perpetrating a trans genocide. And uh, consider how bizarre it is uh, that activists are claiming that a genocide is being perpetrated against a movement that essentially has its hands on most levers of power. But, just as with the other provinces, polling taken after the Alberta policies were announced emphasize the scale of the support of the Canadian public. Nearly half of Canadians, half of Canadians, support a blanket ban on transgender surgery for minors. And only 11% agreed that minors should be permitted to undergo sex changes without the need for parental consent. Those numbers are just staggering, and those numbers are the reason that LGBT activists are so afraid. As Rick Bell noted in the Calgary Herald, quote, they've done their polling, they feel confident they are reflecting the wishes of a strong majority of Albertans. We are told number crunching reveals Smith's plans are very popular among Smith's UCP voters. And indeed, it's very telling that nearly half of Canadians oppose transgender treatments, despite a tsunami of disinformation and propaganda on the issues from politicians, the press, and trans activists. So those numbers are, despite the fact that it's sort of a full-court press condemning what's going on, imagine how much that number would skyrocket if Canadians actually knew the truth, if Canadians were getting the sort of reporting uh, that even the New York Times is providing at this point. And I think LGBT activists now realize that their agenda is astronomically and almost historically unpopular among Canadians, which some of us have now been saying for years. On February 7, Federal Conservative Party leader Pierre Polyev finally declared his position on the issue after initially telling his caucus via internal memo not to comment, and he affirmed during a press uh, scrum that he too opposes giving puberty blockers to minors. And I would again point out here, there is a straight line from Blaine Higgs last June making the decision to do what he did, no matter what the cost, to the federal leader of the Conservative Party uh, being forced to come out with his own position. 
Now, LGBT activists and their political allies are growing increasingly shrill as this long-delayed debate has finally exploded. They had claimed they... So there's a, a bunch of things going on here at the same time. So first they claim that sex change surgeries were not happening to minors, despite previous reporting in the National Post noting that hundreds of teen girls in Canada have undergone double mastectomies. And this is in fact happening in Alberta as well. We know this. This is proven. We are now witnessing an all-out war by the entire Canadian progressive establishment to kill the debate with a Saskatchewan judge even delivering the unprecedented and constitutionally dubious ruling that despite the provincial government's use of the notwithstanding clause, the case against the new parental rights policy can proceed. This could cause a constitutional crisis. We'll see how this plays out. Prominent academics are condemning the parental rights policies. Journalists are attempting to gaslight the public by insisting that restricting girls' sports to girls is a, quote, sweeping change, rather than reversing a very recent and sweeping change. But with public opinion against them, and Canadian conservatives on both the provincial and now the federal level willing to fight on the issue, LGBT activists are pivoting to their last line of defense, stating that human rights are frequently not supported by the majority and that it is the role of the courts and of legislators to overrule public opinion in these matters. We've seen a whole bunch of people saying this now. Charles Adler, a whole bunch of activists, basically saying, look, even if the Canadian public is wildly opposed to our agenda, the reason we have a progressive judiciary, the reason we have politicians, is so that our agenda can be implemented despite the fact that the public rejects our agenda. So the initial narrative was that this was somehow an imported American culture war that was somehow un-Canadian. But now what we're getting is this sort of jackboot condescension. Uh, you know, look, sex changes for minors may not have the support of the public, but that's why we have enlightened judges and politicians to tell us what's good for us. That's going to be the new line. We're already seeing the pivot. Expect to see a lot more of that in the weeks and months to come. Tellingly, both the, the redefinition of marriage and abortion were cited in these tweets uh, as other examples of, quote, rights imposed from the top down by politicians despite a lack of public support. Virtually every major sweeping social change in Canadian history has been imposed from the top down on a public that was not on board with that. Now, this debate is far from over, and can, I have no faith whatsoever in Canada's infamously progressive judiciary. I suspect that plenty of judges will likely rule against the provinces, and that the issue will get pushed all the way up to the Supreme Court. This is the Supreme Court that gave us the current euthanasia regime, and so we don't know where this is going to go. We don't know if, if, if the policies in Alberta are actually going to take effect, if the policies in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick are actually going to hold, but finally, the Canadian public is being heard. And for better or for worse, the radical changes imposed on Canada over the past decade by the LGBT movement, and despite what they say, they have been changes, they will be key, key issues in elections right across the country at almost every level. And it's about time we debated what we're doing to kids. The progressive establishment now know that Canada is not the country they claimed it was, and that their agenda is opposed by the majority. They may succeed in forcing it on the country yet, but at long last, there's going to be a fight about it. 
for years I've been writing uh, here at LifeSite and in other places uh, that a huge majority of Canadians do not think like Trudeau, uh, that a huge majority of Canadians would not be socially conservative like me, would not be um, thoroughly anti-abortion and opposed to the redefinition of marriage and opposed most of the LGBT agenda. On the other hand, they do not hold the radical positions of Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, but the agenda of Trudeau and Singh has never been thoroughly debated, um, has never been presented to the voters. And now, with an upcoming federal election, hopefully, and a series of, uh, of provincial elections as well, we're going to finally see uh, how Canadians respond to being demonized by the press, how Canadian parents respond to being told they pose a danger to their own children, and LGBT activists can finally recognize that this is not the country that they claim it was. We're a different country. We're a country with many faults, but we're a better country than they said we were. Thanks so much for listening this week. I hope you found it helpful, and I hope you found uh, this podcast more optimistic than the previous ones. I've been uh, working on this particular podcast for quite a while to try and pull all the details together for you. If you want to see weekly coverage of these issues, you can head over to lightsightnews.com, and you can also check out my blog where I cover this issue uh, almost weekly. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can head over to the podcast tab. You can find the Van Maren Show there, and our episodes are posted wherever you get your content. Thanks so much for listening.